Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast, where we aim to shed light on the significance of innovation in life sciences, the people, the challenges, and success stories, all while educating, inspiring, and empowering professionals. And today, I'm honored to have as my guest, Dr. Ala Santos, CEO of the Polonium Foundation. Dr. Santos is a seasoned leader in healthcare innovation with nearly two decades of global experience in researching, commercializing, in diagnostics, therapeutics, medical devices, and med tech. Her expertise encompasses rapid and point of care tests, as well as areas of cancer, cardiac, and infectious disease care. Recently, Dr. Santos has also been focusing on sustainability in healthcare, specifically implementing sustainable angles in new medical diagnostic product development and sustainable hospital operations. In the last years, Dr. Santos led the new technology development team at Abbott Labs, where she developed a diagnostic platform for blood-borne pathogen screening. In her current role as CEO of the Polonium Foundation, Dr. Santos connects with highly skilled Polis expatriates in science, policy, and subject matter expertise. In addition to her R&I leadership in a Fortune 100 company and nonprofit executive roles, for over a decade, Dr. Santos has been providing consulting services for startups and investment opportunity assessments for venture capital companies and individual investors. With her multilingual skills and passion for travel, Dr. Santos has a broad international impact and exposure. Dr. Santos holds a Bachelor of Science from Robert Gordon University, Scotland, Master of Science and Engineering from Lodz University of Technology, Poland, her PhD in Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at the University of Chicago, was supported by an American Heart Association Fellowship, where she developed novel cancer metastatic blockers and cardiomyopathies diagnostics. Dr. Santos has also held the presidency of Women in Bio from Chicago, where she currently serves as the advisory board chair. Welcome today, and I'm so glad to have you on as a guest. Sure. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and it, it's a pleasure to talk about uh, actually two different aspects of, uh, of my current uh, work. The first one being Polonium Foundation. It's a nonprofit NGO that serves a scientific diaspora, uh, mainly from Poland, uh, hence the name Polonium Foundation. Uh, and the term has been um, taken from the name of the element that Maria Skłodowska-Curie uh, discovered. Uh, so in the foundation, we actually treat her as our uh, uh, patron or patroness, I should say. She's an example of, of um, scientific expat, uh, scientific diaspora, where she was very mobile and she, she moved to a different country and she was working internationally. Um, but she never forgot the country that she came uh, from. Uh, hence, one of her biggest, greatest discovery was called uh, based on her motherland. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure that there are not a lot of people that are aware of the entire inner workings of that story. Um, and so... As you're talking about this kind of concept of of sustainability and this access to healthcare and kind of the global story, um, where do you see kind of 
the reshaping or or how are we making progress as far as we're talking about climate change and socioeconomic mm-hmm. disparity, the globalization of of information and medicine. Um, it's a, I know it's a big question, right? But there's a lot in there. <laughs> But there's yeah, a lot it's to be done. Very loaded question. <laughs> and um, to be honest, both in Polonium and in my work with sustainability in medicine and healthcare, actually, that as a as an industry, we are just learning that we need to adjust, uh, that we need to uh, take under account um, the terms that uh, you just spoken, and that we need to make medicine more equitable and we need to also while making medicine and reshaping uh, how medicine is um, administered in different parts of the world, how it's personalized medicine, how it's modernized, uh, how do you approach it in, in the most sustainable and the most fit to the future way rather than going in the old same uh, paths uh, that uh, uh, modern medicine is uh, has taken uh, to this day. Mm-hmm. And I guess just the whole concept um, when you think globally about distribution, about um, getting point of care uh, where it's necessary, rather than creating barriers to healthcare from travel, from just geographic distribution of of the the necessary medicines. In fact. Um, I'm just thinking today, um, you know, here in the United States, they've had uh, a challenge in Hawaii with wildfires and they need Mm -hmm. immediate uh, response. And we've had these situations across the globe. How do you, you know, I know this is what you're thinking of. How do we get the medication to the people that need it when they need it and where they need it? Um, Mm -hmm. And getting, I guess, um, and I'll touch on kind of like talent migration like how do you get the talent where it needs to be and how do we you know i'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it's challenging yeah sure i mean you you touch upon uh supply chain really and we saw issues with it and we see issues with it bigger smaller depending countering humongous uh uh, chain supply issues were happening during the pandemic as well. And um, what it signifies for all branches of industry, not only for healthcare, not only for medicine, is um, being able to resource locally, being able to manufacture locally, uh, not um, uh, focus or, or not, not to um, orient manufacturing into one or two or three geographical location, but make sure that uh, it's dispersed enough that it can serve local communities. And it's very interesting how you connected the, the two parts of the question that you just asked, because because the talent, right? Mm-hmm. And that's another bit to it. Um, in, in this global world, um, we keep on forgetting that both like manufacturing and also the innovation when you when you create new products, they has to be, they have to be in touch uh, mm-hmm. with the local communities, within the countries, within the regions, within uh, the continents, um, and it's gonna bite us if we if we don't because the transportation, you know, with what's going on. Um, in the planet with, uh, you know, transportation altogether with uh, how the oceans are collaborating with us or how we don't collaborate with them. It's it's gonna become a 
larger larger issue. Hence, all branches of industry should be adapting to a little bit different model of production. And it's fascinating because talent-wise, globally, with decent education, uh, there's great ideas everywhere. And we that uh, when we see you know startups popping up all over the world, it's no longer a few hubs in the U.S., but great ideas are happening all around. What needs to happen for the great ideas to to uh, start? I think the first one is the people in the education and uh, you know the world um, has a way to figure out and the people that want to get education have in a way um, found the way to get educated and, and great talent you can find everywhere. I think the bigger problem right now is investment and where the money is going. Uh, because one thing is to, great, to have great minds and innovative minds and brave, you know, hardworking folks. And the other uh, is to have uh, streams of revenue so that uh, this expensive type of research, when it's getting out of the uh, basic science, which is also very expensive, but it's going towards the commercialized science. Uh, it's going towards building a product, especially medical product. Um, the financing needs to be rethought as well. So, and yeah, it's expensive. Distribution of investment, I think, is the answer in there. Right, and I think this is so. I'm more in the technology side and problem solving, leveraging technology for life sciences organizations. And for me, this is where you have to take a look at what can technology do today. So. As a, as a globe, we were able to kind of transform ourselves from that in-person, on-location model to a dispersed and sort of more remote model. You can't do everything remotely, but we certainly did an awful lot in a short period of time. And now it's time to kind of capitalize on that, in my opinion. So what can we do from an education perspective? Well, you can certainly educate in a much better model if you don't necessarily always have to be in person. Um, what can we do with that? Um, training, all those different things. And I think you touched on another point, which is, you know, the financing. We all know it takes eight years on a good idea, 16 when you really think about it, to get a product from conception to, to commercialization. And you really can't solve anything if it's not commercialized. So how do we get that? How do we compress those timelines but remain safe mm -hmm. and make sure the patient's considered? And not just a type of patient, but all patients. And this is where I think all of these are starting to kind of converge a little bit. And I'm really interested, um, you know, sustainability is a huge problem we have, right? The planet mm -hmm. is certainly not in sync with what we think. Um, and how do we get back there? Um, the life sciences can consume an awful lot of resources, um, water, energy, you know, we need it to, to manufacture, but how do we do it in a more sustainable manner? And how do we do it at, at a point where the patient needs it, right? Instead of that giant supply chain where all the logistics required to be from point A to point B to point C. Um, so I think this is where the conversation people like you are having about how do we make it accessible? How do we make it sustainable? Um, and, and how do you, you know, and again, 
where do you, and again, this is where I'm always excited, like how do, what do you see in the future? Like where are we headed with all these kinds of things? What's possible? Because if we can't dream big, I don't think we can get there. Yeah, so I'll tell you about two things. First thing is um, when you were asking this question, I was thinking to myself, well, um, in terms of talent, it is very important to engage scientists. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe not talked enough outside of the scientific world, definitely not enough in the scientific world, but um, scientists are way more capable and way more fast paced uh, than we would expect them to. Um, and me coming from that world, I know myself that there's a lot of folks that like to think about their uh, research as something that can be applicable. Now, there's a lot of borders, barriers that scientists, researchers meet when it comes to commercializing. And I think those are major road, roadblocks, really, um, in commercialization, because there is different interests at stake, so to speak. And there's different groups of um, stakeholders that all of a sudden uh, are coming into the game and are, are fami- unfamiliar to, to the researcher. But I think all those industries and, and businesses keep on forgetting that in the core of their innovation are two entities. The first entity is the scientist, where the idea comes from, and the second entity is the patient. And in order to shorten the time is really to shorten the path between the scientist and the, um, and the patient or the, uh, or the client. Uh, so I like applicability. I like utilitarian science. Not every scientist thinks like that, but there is a whole bunch of them that have predispositions to learn business of science. Mm. And those people are um, indispensable in the faster track commercialization. Um, I used to audit uh, classes at Boot, and I'll never forget what the professors used to say, not one professor and not once. Uh, So it really stuck with me that it is, um, it is easy to teach a scientist business. It takes two years of an MBA and a willing scientist. But to teach a business person science, that's a whole other story because that's you know, 15, 20 years of education to come to a subject matter expertise that the scientists have. Mm. Um, that's, that's really difficult. That's a great way of putting it too, right? mm -hmm. I mean, it's really putting the impact that you can have with a compressed learning time period that can really make a sizable difference in getting those medicines into the marketplace. I'm curious your thoughts. Um, One of the challenges that occurs um, when we talk about science and technology and STEM education in general is that transition period at the sixth, seventh and eighth grade levels where if you don't take enough math and science at those early key grades, you really don't have much opportunity to get those years back. You know, they don't teach that. Oh, you were, this is fascinating because <laughs> you're talking about it from a very American standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I would have no idea what you were talking about uh, had I not have witnessed American educational system. Yep. Um, but in the world, um, I don't think it works like that. In a global right. scale, it you don't uh, narrow down the math years to certain grades. And, right. and definitely, you know, from my my own experience, 
growing up and, and learning uh, all the STEM uh, in Poland, where it was all very theoretical, where we didn't have, you know, the experimental, the critical approach that, you know, I learned to have in the U.S., it certainly there wasn't a great or a time in my childhood where there was a that window where Focus. I would learn math. No, no, math yeah. was there and math was there from the very beginning till the very end. And it, it wasn't there because, you know, I just loved it. I just liked it. Um, and that's where this kind of global conversation about how learning can be different in different ways. And that's how we kind of get that information out there. Right. And I think that's that's awesome that you bring that up. And again, I was just trying to get that conversation because here we do talk about it a lot in a very compressed time period. Um, and then after that, you know, you kind of go on to college or university and it's just not there, which is a different um, and it's not a learned, it's not a learning mindset, more or less. It's a point in time mindset. And that kind of changes the whole dynamic, I think. Um, definitely. Oh, definitely. My mathematics teacher used to say that math is the answer to everything. Doesn't matter where you are in life. And, you know, that. that yeah, it's critical. The reality of the life that you don't need it. But if you, if you were really to apply math, math is really response to everything. It's kind of like a core concept that you really can't do without. And I think that's mm -hmm. the key. Yeah, I, I, I think that's so interesting. I would love to ask you a little bit about um, the Women in Bio uh, organization that you've been part of in Chicago. I am also part of Women in Bio here in Philadelphia. And of course, it's more than the United States now branching out uh, into other locations. Um, and I know you were a past president. Um, and now you're in an advisory mm -hmm. role. How do you see organizations like that really kind of getting the word out in these sort of key conversations about education, sustainability, global reach, patient-centric medication? I mean, it's all the conversations I think people are having. And I think organizations like this can can really go far in getting the word out and bring people into the conversation, I guess. Mm -hmm. So Women in Bio, to me, was always an organization that elevated the silent voices. Um, and it was wonderful to watch it develop in Chicago. I remember when I, you know, I was just starting at the University of Chicago um, and, and I started going to the Women in Bio events and how humble it was and how um, accepting it was to all the participants, really, from, from classroom to boardroom. There was no, um, we even say till now that, that the self-centering uh, or like ego problem is very easily detected in that organization. People just like to come there, share and participate and lead. Uh, and, and it's creating a wonderful environment to learn leadership. So you're right, I was a president of uh, Chicago chapter um, but I was also vice president and then I was supporting and I forever feel responsible for this chapter. Um, just because I, it, it really taught me how, how to take the ownership of something in a non-possessive um, way. Uh, it's a great organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a great. And, you know, they have great vision. They have great programs and, and it's fun, too. I mean, that's another part of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but because it comes from this 
very unobvious but very well fitting alternative to how the business is run these days versus to how we should be running this in the future. Um, so I really think that seeing women in bio grow to the, to the level that we are in Chicago chapter, for example, so we're training women for startup uh, board service. Yeah. And we are training them so that the innovation, the new companies that are being born have this perspective of DNI, sustainability, that they conduct their business with a great responsibility, not only um, with their, you know, financial models, not only with their, you know, all the, all the KPIs, but especially, especially with the um, attention to the details that are very important. Yeah. And it, it has a, a downstream effect that, you know, can be another issue that needs to be solved 10 years or 15 years from now that we didn't know was an impact. You know what I'm saying? Like a climate issue now cre can create patient problems in 20 years um, mm -hmm. that we need to solve for. So if we think about it in a holistic manner, then I think, uh, and again, I, I, I love the organization. I think they do great work. They really and do. Tell you what, yeah, tell you what, uh, Women in Bio is full of internationals too. Yeah. And this international perspective is so crucial. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did mention to you that currently I'm in Brazil. I yeah. did a big chunk of my career in the U.S. I, I'm from Europe, so my initial adventure with science, with research, really started in Europe, and I mm, uh, now and then I go back. But it's fascinating to see how different healthcare systems are addressing um, certain issues. The fact, for example, that you know I, I've been a big proponent of point of care and rapid testing, and I never in a great insurance systems, you know, in a most advanced healthcare medicine uh, places in the world, I never got offered point of care test other than maybe COVID, right? And mm -hmm. here in Brazil, that's a part of routine. That's how you screen people with point of care. You go to the doctor's office and it's actually being used. And it's like eye opening to see, well, this can be done and it is done. It's just, you just need to, turn a few knobs here and there to make it a little bit more sustainable maybe you know not always those huge cassettes with like super heavy plastics maybe not always manufactured in china those mm. are simple simple tests they keep they can be implemented in a healthcare system like in here 200 million people over 200 million people brazil has access to public healthcare that's running in comparison to everything else, relatively very smooth. And it's very, um, very much addressing the needs of the society here. So fascinating, fascinating. Watching that, witnessing that. I went into that just to experience this healthcare system and see how they solve the problems. The answers are there. We just have to be open to let ourselves go and look how others do it. and from the pool of the experiences that we have and scientists especially because we are the one of the most mobile professionals groups i told you you know i did my master's one place my bachelor's another place my phd mm -hmm. elsewhere uh postdocs elsewhere uh, right and we are very open to moving too we are very open to learning new languages uh, most of us you know uh, 
just for the sake of changing the scientific environment or just for the sake of collaboration. We're willing to move our families. We are not afraid. And that um, quality in scientists can be really what's going to reshape how we are doing innovation. And again, it's fascinating, just the perspective and changing uh, world. Yeah. So it's got to be exciting for you. Um, so I want to kind of um, wrap things up with just a tiny bit about a little bit change of course here. You've done so much great stuff, all the travel and everything. If you were not a scientist, what do you think you would be doing otherwise? <laughs> if anything. <laughs> oh, gosh. Some people have told um, me they might be making wine. Others have been sailing. <laughs> yeah. Like in your I, spare time. Uh-huh. I think... It, it really does depend when in my lifetime you would ask me that question. Right. Uh, in my lifetime and also the state of the world, I think right now I would be probably uh, figuring out um, how to do sustainable, uh, sustainable agriculture. I would be probably playing in some uh, um, research uh, type of um ranch or plantation where uh, you try to address the um, agricultural needs of the world that are expanding and changing and uh, and trying to do it in the most sustainable way so it's not jump-starting uh, certain things that you know have to be really thought through very well in terms of ecosystems and Mm -hmm. um, but it would be research, you know. That would <laughs> be fun, right? So, my God, yes, <laughs> that would be fun, right? But in a different way. Um, oh, it's so hard to to not to do research in your head in some aspect. If you are once researcher, you are forever uh, with the like quality of you know problem solving, and you want like I don't imagine myself not doing anything, mm -hmm. right? And the moment I imagine myself doing something somehow it manages to come back to some sort of research data collection analysis conclusions <laughs> and, and, and alternating. There you Hopefully. go. That's fantastic. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us today. What a fantastic conversation. I'm excited to see where you head next. I know you might be coming back to the U.S. for a little bit, but I'm certain that's probably not the last stop on your agenda. And I am so excited that you got a chance to spend some time with us. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was my uttermost pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.